A binge-worthy show about Jesus? The Chosen Season 3 is here. Come and see what the buzz is about. The Chosen explores the imperfect and messy relationships of real humans following Jesus. The first six episodes are available now. Stream each new episode for free. Plus, watch exclusive content like The After Show, only in the new Chosen app. Download The Chosen app on mobile and TV streaming devices. Visit BingeJesus.com to learn more. Hey, MEAC fans, it's time to step into a championship. The 2023 MEAC Men's and Women's Basketball Tournament tips off March 8th through the 11th at the Scope Arena in Norfolk, Virginia. Join all the Me action with competitive basketball games, fun theme nights, and fan fests, official after parties, and comedy shows. Tickets are on sale via Ticketmaster, and you can log on to MEACHoops.com for more info. The 2023 MEAC Basketball Tournament. Who will be crowned champion? Welcome to the Fantrax Toolshed, a podcast covering all aspects of fantasy baseball to help you win all of your fantasy leagues. From dynasty to prospects to redraft, we got you covered. Now, here are your hosts, Eric Cross and Chris Clay. All right, fantasy baseball fanatics around the world, welcome to the Toolshed. This is episode 119 of the Fantrax Toolshed with Clayton Cross, powered by Fantrax and FantraxHQ.com. I'm your host, Eric Cross. So, for the first time in Fantrax Toolshed history, I will be rolling solo tonight. Unfortunately, Mr. Clegg was unavailable this evening, and the host I had, or the guest host I had lined up, something came up with them as well, so... You'll get a full episode of Just Me, so hopefully you enjoy my voice. It's not the the smooth southern accent of Mr. Clegg, of course. More of a, you know, the New England accent isn't quite as beautiful. I, I fully understand that, but got a lot of fun stuff to talk about. But before we get into the show, the usual housekeeping, you can find us on Twitter. Chris is at Roto Clegg. I'm Eric Cross 04, and our show is at Fantrax Toolshed. If you enjoy this podcast, please rate and review. Check out our Patreon for extra content from both Chris and I and our YouTube channel for plenty of live prospect video throughout the season. And, of course, check out all the other great work we have going on over at Fantrax HQ with multiple fantasy baseball articles coming out every single day. All right, let's just get right into it here. I got a lot of players to talk about here. A lot of uh, This is more of our MLB-focused show, but it got some nice prospect talk in at the end as well. Let's start off with a couple big bashers here. Jordan Alvarez and Vladimir Guerrero Jr., so I posted a tweet a few days. What day was that on? The 14th. So that was, I don't even know what day of the week that was. Saturday? I don't even know. So the tweet said, if you would rather have Vlad than Jordan in Dynasty, that's totally fine. But it baffles me to my core that some people think that Jordan isn't at least close to Vlad. It really does baffle me. In my own rankings, yes, I still have Jordan ahead. And if you, I'm um, me, I still have Vladimir Guerrero Jr. ahead. Uh, and if you looked at my last updated dynasty rankings, which came out on what day did they come out on Monday on Fantrax HQ, Vlad was fifth, Jordan was fourteenth, and some would say, "Oh, that's still a big gap," but it's really not. You know, you, you got the top three: you got so Soto, Acuna, Tatis, and then it's Bobichet, Vlad Jr., Turner, Otani, Harper, Tucker, Robert, Franco, 
Joe Ram, Trout, Alvarez, Devers. That's my top 15 right now. And that's not like five to 14 sometimes could be considered a big gap. Sure. But not right now. Especially we look at Vlad versus Jordan. So they both came up 2019. Vlad was up opening day and Jordan came up early part of June. So Vlad had a two month head start on him. So they played 2019 together. Jordan was better. He won the American League Rookie of the Year. 2020 was obviously the shortened 60 game season. And Vlad Jordan only played two games and he missed the rest of the season due to the injury. So you can't really count that. And who knows with your Vlad wasn't exactly, you know, tearing the cover off the ball that year. He was better than his rookie year, but still there's an easy possibility that Jordan could have outproduced him that year as well. But we'll just throw out 2020. That's the fair thing to do. 2021 obviously goes to Vlad. You know, we saw what Vlad Jr. did last year. If it wasn't for the second coming of Babe Ruth, Mr. Shohei Otani, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. would have won the 2021 American League MVP and probably should have and probably would have basically any of the year on the planet. And Jordan was pretty good, came back, coming back from injury, still was kind of getting over the knee issue. But again, his season wasn't bad. I mean, he finished with a 277, 346, 531 slash line, 33 home runs, 104 RBI, and 92 runs scored. So 2021 goes to Vlad Jr. So let's, well, if we're keeping track here, tied up 1 1. And so far, 2022, obviously it's very early, but I would give the edge to Jordan this year, even though Vlad's hitting for about 20, was it 30 points higher on average, 282 to 252. But Vlad Jr. has. Seven home runs, 20 RBI, 17 runs scored. Jordan, 12, 22, and 24, respectively. And one thing with Vladimir Guerrero Jr. that I kind of warned people about, and this is not me taking a victory lap, so don't even you know think of it like that. But last year he had, a, I forget how many exact games exactly it was, but the majority of the season, or at least the first half of the season, they were playing in Dunedin and Buffalo. Minor league parks. And Vladimir Guerrero Jr. went absolutely crazy in those ballparks. And then once they got back up to Toronto, middle of the season, when they were finally allowed to go back and play home games in Toronto, it was a whole different story. Yeah, he was still good, obviously, but not quite as good as he was in those ballparks. So let's look at the numbers last year at Vlad Jr.'s home parks. TD Park, TD Ballpark, excuse me, which is down in down in Florida, 410, 521, 897 slash in 21 games, 11 home runs. 28 RBI, 20 runs scored, and 96 play appearances. Then up in Salem Field, which is the AAA affiliate for Toronto in Buffalo, New York, 321, 418, 762 slash 10 home runs in 98 play appearances. So a total of 21 home runs in 44 games, almost a home run every two games. And then back in Toronto, again, still very good, 294, 368, 566 slash line, 10 home runs, and 152 play appearances. So... I wasn't warning that he was just going to fall off a cliff. Obviously not, but just to not, maybe not expect the same elite, like the elite elite production of Vlad Jr. that he put up in 2021. Just take a 90% of it. We take back a few home runs, a little bit of average, and that's kind of the pace he's on now. And Jordan, he's a little skid lately with the average, which has caused him to drop about 25, 30 points. He was right up there with Vlad in batting average. So he's 252, but 12 home runs, which is second in the league behind Aaron Judge. Stack metrics are all bright red. You know, barrel rate is 
let's see here, barrel rate 11.8%. No, excuse me, 17.4%. That was barrels per PA. That was 11.8. Hard hit rate 60.9%. He's increased the walk rate. He's decreased the strikeout rate. So that average is going to go back up. But he's hitting at better than like, his metrics signal that the average is going to bounce back up. So again, I take Vlad. I start up draft right this second. Both guys are on the board. Got to pick one. I'm taking Vlad Jr. But this is at least a very close conversation. And in that tweet I put out, again, this was four days ago. So the numbers obviously changed a little bit. But at that time, so I looked at since Jordan's debut, June 9th, 2019. Jordan, 1,094 plate appearances, 289, 372, 584. Vlad in 1,438 plate appearances, 293, 372, 523. Same OBP, four points to average to Vlad in average, 61 points to Jordan in slugging. Same amount of home runs, and Jordan has since added at least one home run since this tweet. So he has more home runs in about 350 or so less plate appearances. He had 19 points higher than Vlad in Woba and 18 points higher in WRC+. Obviously, those aren't you know, a lot of those aren't fantasy metrics, ISO and Woba and WRC plus, et cetera. But Jordan, I think, is still incredibly underrated. He's top 15. He would have been top 10 if this top 10 wasn't already so strong. I, I can't put Jordan ahead of Bryce Harper. I just can't. I can't put him ahead of Lou Bob. I can't put him ahead of Otani or Turner. So Jordan deserves top 10 consideration. But just so many good names ahead of him that I just couldn't bump him ahead. It already hurt me to bump him ahead of Rafael Devers. That was already hard enough. And Corbin Burns. Those are guys who are 15 to 16th. But Jordan is underrated. That's all I'm going to say. And he's definitely close to Vlad. No doubt in my mind. All right, moving on. Taylor Ward. Chris and I talked about Taylor Ward, ooh, what, a few weeks into the season. It was like a couple weeks after Ward returned to the lineup. He missed a little bit of time to start the year. And he was off to that hot start. So we're like, oh, this is a fun little story. You know, is he a good rest of season ad for redraft leagues? Well, now Ward is still going. Ward is not slowing down. He's actually gotten even better since that first game or first time we talked about him, I should say. Right now, 122 plate appearances, 376, 484, 733 slash line with nine home runs, 23 RBI, 26 runs scored in, in 122 plate appearances. And it's not like... Oh yeah, that's fluky. You know, there's regression coming, blah, blah, blah. No, you, it's hard, excuse me, hard to poke holes in Tyler Ward's, excuse me, Taylor Ward's game right now. The profile is rock solid. Walk rate 17.2%, K rate 21.3%, 16% barrel rate, 41.3 hard hit rate. So yeah, hard hit rate isn't astronomical, but it's still above league average. And then you go down to the plate discipline metrics. The whiff rate's only 21.6%, better than league average. Chase rate's 16.3%, well better, you know, well below league average of 28.3%. Contact rates are above league average. So obviously, I'm not hinting or signaling that Taylor Ward is going to remain a top 10 player. In my last Dynasty rankings update, he was easily one of the hardest players to rank I'm like all right so he's off to this incredible first month you know four or five weeks of the season but doesn't have a long track record or really any track record at all 
of previous success. I mean, he's been okay, but he's basically been a, you know, backup part-time player. He's never really been a full-time starter. And maybe he's one of these late bloomers. He's 28. So still not terribly old, still, you know, quote unquote, in the prime of his career. But you got to wonder like how much of this is sustainable. Again, like I mentioned, you can't really poke a lot of holes in this profile right now. So I ended up slotting him in where did I put him 167, I believe it was. Yeah, 167 in my dynasty rankings. Some other people in that range are like Garrett Whitlock, Patrick Sandoval, Kyle Wright, who's another one, another big breakout this year. Bryson Stott, Vinny Pasquatino, some prospects in that range, Tariq Scooball, Tyler McGill, some you know, Sonny Gray, those are some guys in that range, in that 160 to 180 range. I thought that was fair. I was I was wondering, is it too low? It's that it's that balance you gotta play where, all right, how much stock do you put into this performance right now versus the track record before this season? It's a hard balance sometimes, especially when they're dominating as much as Taylor Ward. And part of me wanted to put him top 100. But I, I say I couldn't do it quite yet. You know, my next update in a month or so, which will probably be maybe early July, if Ward is still dominating or let's say he's maybe not this level, but he's still like 80 plus percent of this level, then he'll be top 100 then. Because I said he's still got so fairly young on the right side of 30. All the metrics are very good right now. So I'm buying Taylor Ward. You know, there's people that maybe not want, don't want to always buy high, but I think Taylor Ward is for real, or at least top 100 caliber player moving forward. And if, if you have him right now, unless you get a really good deal where it's like, boom, you don't have to think about it. It's like, all right, I have to accept the deal. I'd probably hold on to him right now, see where it goes. So on the other side of the ball here, on the pitching side of things, Kind of like the equal, and we were talking about Kyle Wright. He could fit this category, but the equal kind of like comparison to a Taylor Ward is like a late 20s, you know, part-time player, never got established, but is absolutely dominating this year, is up in the Bronx or down in the Bronx. I'm, I'm up in Maine, so south for me. But anyway, Nestor Cortez, everyone's favorite, quirky, fun, mustache, you know, Everything about Nestor Cortez is fun, right? He does the, you know, he changes his wind up to mess with the people's, you know, the batter's, you know, timing. Everything about Cortez is fun, including his stat line. That might be the most fun, especially if you roster him in dynasty leagues and, or even redraw any league. You probably got him, whether you got him in a draft or via trade or whatever. You got him for a very reasonable price and you've been rewarded through seven stars of the 135 ERA. 0.85 whip, 32.5% K rate, and a 7.3% walk rate. And last year, Cortez started showing some stuff into the season. That's why he was kind of, you know, a popular late round pick this year. But I don't think anybody, that's fair to say, nobody saw this coming. He's been better than Garrett Cole so far. Obviously, Garrett Cole was better long term, but. Who would have thought that the best pitcher on the Yankees through the first month and a half of the season would be Nestor Cortez? It's, it's it's a fun story, and he's part of the reason why the Yankees are on pace for like 115, 120 wins right now, or whatever they're on, whatever, like 26 and 9 or something like that. So, I, again, some more question. How much of this is for real? How are we valuing Nestor Cortez going forward? 
He's still only 27 years old. It's not like he's 32, 33, or anything like that. We look at the Arsenal doesn't blow you away. You know, he works two different fastballs, a four-seamer and a cutter. Cutter's an 85-7 on average, four-seamer 90.5. So it doesn't blow you away, but you don't always have to do that. Cortez commands pitches very well. The control has been fine. He's a you know a slightly above average control guy, but he runs the cutter in on righties. The four-seamer, he works it down in the zone, which is kind of opposite. Most pitchers have been running their fast four-seamer up in the zone. He likes to use it more down. The cutter's actually been used a little more up than the four-seamer. Slider, sinker, and changeup all have you know solid command. The, the slider he uses about 15% of the time. Sinker, 5%. Changeup, 3.7%. So those last two, sinker and changeup, this ring used that often and all. So it's primarily cutter, four-seamer, slider. That's about 91% of his offerings. And that slider, especially, <clears throat> excuse me, has been pretty damn good. That slider, the uh, the sinker actually has been his best whiff rate offering at fifty seven point one percent. But outside of that, he doesn't have any other offerings above twenty seven percent. Cutter and four seamer are both at twenty six point nine percent. Slider at twelve point nine. Change up at fourteen point three. Last year, those five offerings were all actually pretty damn close in whiff rate, with a range of twenty one point seven percent to twenty eight point six percent. So. You know, just on the surface, I really don't see the 32.5% K rate sticking. But last year, 27.5%, that I can see. You know, 26, 27%, so still above average, but not elite. So I expect some regression in that department. But again, he's a guy that he's crafty. He can mix his pitches well. He sequences very well. You know, the whiff rate is still, in general, slightly above average. Zone contact is better than league average. Chase rate's better than league average. So a lot of these are hinting that, all right, Nestor is for real, maybe not this for real, but he's at least a, you know, a mid-rotation fantasy starter here moving forward. And in my last update, Cortez was at 267 for me overall, which probably was a bit low. I admit that. Some pitchers in his range. It's mostly pitching prospects. Yeah, there's three pitching prospects in his range. Bobby Miller, Gavin Williams, and Kyle Harrison. The nearest MLB arms below him are Jose Urquidy, Matt Brash, Merrill Kelly, Casey Mize. Above him, Drew Rasmussen. I guess you can count Royancy Contreras, even though he's only pitched a little bit in the major leagues. Josiah Gray, Marcus Stroman, Tony Gonsolin. Uh, so yeah, so this, uh, Tristan McKenzie, who I'll talk about here in a little bit, those are some names ahead of him. So again, top 50 starter moving forward, I can see. But he's one where between him and Ward, if I uh, rostered both and I had to sell high on one of them, I'd probably sell high on Nestor Cortez. But again, a lot of what he's doing is legit, so don't think he's going to totally fall off a cliff because he's been pretty good. All right, moving over to Minnesota here. Over the last week or so, the Twins have demoted both Alex Kirilov and Royce Lewis. Kirilov wasn't surprising. Coming back off an, another wrist injury, had multiple wrist injuries, wasn't hitting at all. Five hits and 29 at-bats, 172 average, no extra base hits. It, it wasn't doing anything. It was uh, only 32 plate appearances, yes, but... He wasn't really doing anything. They wanted to get him, and he wasn't really starting regularly after he came back either. So it, I can kind of see why. I, it, you don't want it. You know, obviously, Kirilov was a top 
you know, 200 or so pick this year, a guy that was considered back end top 100 dynasty, but real life perspective, it makes sense. But long term, while I would buy low on Kirilov in general, I will say that I am concerned because this is now multi, he's 24, has had multiple wrist injuries. And we've seen plenty of times before how wrist injuries can really hinder a hitter's power. And it's not like Kirilov was some like 40 home run masher. Kirilov was like in that cut from like the Michael Brantley, Eddie Rosario cloth. Or like, all right, he's got hit for a good average. And, you know, he'll get, you know, prime, mid-20s, maybe upper-20s. Maybe he gets 30, you know, low 30s a year or two at peak. But it was more so the average and solid amount of home runs. So now if you cut back on the home run projection, what is he, 18 to 20 with a good average? So best-case scenario now, maybe he's Michael Brantley. I mean, Brian Reynolds from last year. I don't know. He doesn't really run that much, so he needs the offensive production to be there. And, you know, it was there. The numbers were solid last year, 12.8% barrel rate, 43.9 hard hit. But hasn't he's never been a guy that walks a ton, but keeps the K rate in check for the most part. So I don't know. He's not top 100 for me anymore. He's more in the top 150 range. In fact, my last update, I had Kirilov 140 or so, right around like Ian Happ, Ramon Laureano, Josh Lowe. Brendan Marsh in that range, which I think is fair, but definitely dropped about 50 spots or so. He's actually 75th in my update before the season. <clears throat> Excuse me. So he's dropped 65 spots in the first month or in the half of the season or so. So again, still a buy low if the price is right, but I am worried for sure. As for Royce Lewis, this didn't make any sense to me. Yes, Carlos Cray is back. Yes, he's the guy they paid over $30 million to start at shortstop for them. I get it. But Royce Lewis was, A, hitting well, 40 plate appearances, 308, 325, 564 slash line, four doubles, and two home runs. Five RBIs and five runs short, too. All right. So hitting well. And, yes, he is primarily a shortstop. And when you look at his baseball reference page, it'll show – you know, 98% of his minor league games have been at shortstop. However, he got plenty of run at other positions out in the Arizona Fall League. He's gotten worked out a lot at these other positions. Just it doesn't show up on baseball reference or wherever you look for your box score and all your stats and whatnot. You know, it's extended spring training, in spring training, stuff like that on the backfields. So he's had at least some experience at second, third, and in the outfield. And for what I've seen, he can play a you know a decent enough third, decent you know he's decent. He's an athlete. Royce Lewis is a big time athlete with good good footwork, good hands. So those types of guys can translate to other positions more easily. And in the past, I've kind of gone against moving a big time you know prospect, you know moving him to a different position in the middle of the season. For example, Xander Bogarts back in 2013 when he came up as a shortstop and then the Red Sox signed Steven Drew, which I still will never understand. And then we had to move Bogarts over to third. Still nine years later, I still don't understand that signing. Anyway, but Bogarts wasn't the athlete, wasn't the defense, you know, defensive guy that Royce Lewis is. So I just don't see why they had to send him down. 
he's still a hold for me. I think he could be back up soon. Mar- Jose Miranda is not hitting well. Like I said, and you can, even if it, Royce Lewis is not playing one set position every single day, you can move him around. You can play him at some third. You play him at second. Giro Shell is just not that great. I don't know why they want to keep trying Urshela. He's okay, I guess. But I would rather give Lewis the major league experience. Especially, it's like he was hitting, you know, poorly. He's hitting 308 with six extra base hits in 11 games. Looking very good. So, redraft leagues, I would still hold right now just to see. If you have the bench depth to do so, I would definitely hold. If you don't, if you really need that spot for a streamer or another hitter, whatever, okay, I can see letting him go. But I do think he's back up soon, and I think he's for real. Like, we've seen we've seen tangible changes from Royce Lewis this year. Like I mentioned a couple weeks ago on Toolshed, where the approach has improved, the mechanics have smoothed out, There's the swing is less busy than it was in, in the past, the leg kick's been tamed down. So some tangible changes here for Royce Lewis. So I think he's back to being a – you know, top 20 caliber prospect, you know, 15 to 20 home runs, 20 plus steals, solid average. The OBP will never be super high, but maybe like a 340-ish OBP guy. But I still think you got to hold him right now. At least just to see, give him a few weeks. If he's still, if he's down AAA and he's not hitting well there, okay, maybe move on for him. But I do think he's back up soon. All right, last player before I hit a break, Mr. Cody Bellinger. Let's Let's just check in. On Cody Bellinger here, 145 plate appearances. He's now has a 205, 276, 417 slash line. Five home runs and four steals. So that's that looks pretty good. You know, he's on pace for you know, what is that about 23, you know, 23 ish home runs, 16, 17 ish steals, something like that. So that's a pretty good power speed pace, right? You'll take that, especially from a guy that was taken. I don't remember where his ADP was. Around 100, I want to say, give or take, back in preseason drafts. So, you know, 23, 24 home runs, 17 steals. You'll take that. But that, how long are you going to withstand that 205 average? And it's not like he's been unlucky or anything like that. The XBA, though, take it with a grain of salt because these things are still kind of uh, stabilizing. It's 237, so a little higher. Hard hit rate is above average, 44.6%. Same with the barrel rate at 10.8%. Those are above average, but not elite by any stretch of the imagination. Same time, the walk rate has now declined in three straight seasons, only down a little bit from last year, but down to 8.5%, which is still around league average, but not the usual 12, 13, 14% where he was back when he was at his peak. His MVP year, he was at 14.4% walk rate, 16.3% K rate. That K rate has since jumped to 17.3, 26.9, and now 32.4% which is in the bottom 5% of qualified hitters this season. So while the power speed is nice that he's showing, that's also kind of come in bunches. He had a two-homer game. I don't know if I want that when it comes to the 205 average and the sub-300 OBP. Yeah, 205 and 276. The damage he does in, in those categories, depending which one you use in your fantasy league, almost negligates any power and speed benefits that he gives you. And I just don't see this turning around. Like zone contact rate below average chase rate is 5.3% above league average with rates above, above meaning worse than league average. I should say, just to clarify, it is a little bit better than last year, the whiff rate, but it's not 
a lot of metrics that are pointing like, oh yeah, boom, he's got to be 270 again. And it's not like he has like a elite hard contact rate and he's barreling up pitches at elite rate. Again, those are above average, but I honestly just don't see, and this is not just me being a Bellinger hater. I know I've been pretty vocal about him on Twitter, but the excuses I think need to stop. Like the excuses up till now from the Bellinger supporters, which I, you know, I understood to a degree, not to the level they were using them at, but you know, the shoulder, there's the injuries. So getting back to the mix, look how good he was in 2019. I get it. But it's now May of 2022. And really his MVP season, he was good for the first like three. He was elite for the first two months. Pretty good. The next two and meh, the last two. And since then, I think he's hitting right around 200 since, uh, since August 1st, 2019. So he, we have to accept him for what he is at this point. Where long term, how much difference is there between him and like an Adelise Garcia? Low average, low OBP, and you know, the power speed looks kind of nice. I don't see the big difference. The only difference is Ballinger has an MVP award sitting on his mantle or wherever he put that trophy, and Adelise Garcia obviously does not. But I don't see a big difference between the two going forward. Bellinger, I probably should have moved him down further than I did. He currently sits. 121 in my dynasty rankings that's down about 30 spots from preseason and probably will continue to drop unless I see some sort of tangible improvements in that approach the k rate gets better he's not chasing as much the contact rates go up until I see that he's going to continue to slide and yeah he could finish 23 24 home runs 17 steals great but you can find other like you can get Alice Garcia you can get that from Alice Garcia you can get that from others not you know you don't get 2020 that often but the average no BP kind of offsets that. So moving forward, top 150 ish in that general ballpark. He's, he still has the power speed. The, the runs in RBI will still be at least decent enough because he's in the Los Angeles Dodgers. They won't, it's not like he'll be like 55 runs and 60 RBI. He'll still, you'll still get his 70 to 80 of each. So, which is fine, but that's just a big black hole in average that doesn't look like it's going to come out anytime soon. All right, I'm going to take a quick break, get the ad in, and I'll come back on the other side. Got a lot more a lot more pitchers to talk about on the other side, some outfielders and some prospects as well. So don't go anywhere. I'll be right back. Asbury, Methodist Village, and Montgomery County take senior living to the next level, creating extraordinary opportunities for a fulfilling future. Work your brain and body in our new wellness center. Stroll our expansive campus and 17-acre nature preserve. Stay sharp with our resident-run college and find so many new ways to get involved and make a difference for others. Anticipate more from your retirement. Visit asburymethodistvillage.org today. Your future's here. Equal opportunity housing provider. All right, welcome back from the break. Let's get in some outfielders now. I got a trio of outfielders here I wanted to talk about that were all top 100 picks before the season, all of which were in the, you know, two of these guys were probably around 50, give or take, in ADP. Another one, about 90 to 100, but all top 100 guys, all outfielders, and all not performing well this season, obviously. Randy Arena. Tyler O'Neill and Brian Reynolds, very three very different players too. If you look at them, 
But starting with Randy Rosarena, the 2020 postseason hero for Tampa Bay, who single-handedly led them to the World Series where they lost to the Dodgers. But it's not often where one player in baseball can put a team on his back and lead them deep into the playoffs. Even your best, even even in the postseason, your best pitcher might pitch games one, four, and seven. Right? Like in football, quarterbacks can. In basketball, we've seen LeBron do it. We've seen Jordan do it. Kobe, etc. It's easier in those sports. It's not easy anywhere, but it's easier in those sports. Baseball, obviously, is more of a team game. Your best hitter hits four or five times a game. Your best pitcher pitches every fifth day or every fourth day in the playoffs. So it's hard. So what he did was phenomenal and will always be remembered in baseball history. But since then, it hasn't really been the same level of success. And obviously, we can't expect him to be that good over an entire season or multiple seasons. But last year, we saw Rosarena still get 20-20 right on the dot, 20 home runs, 20 steals, 274, 356, 459 slash line, which is also pretty solid. But the K rate, even in 2020, K rate was 28.9%. 2021, 28.1%. Though he did up the walk rate uh, from 79 to 9.3%. This year, K rate's gone down a little bit, 26.4%, but as has the walk rate down to 4.7%. So much more aggressive. He's hitting more ground balls. Ground ball rate has jumped up to 55.4% after being in the mid to upper 40s each of the last two years. Fly ball rate is plummeting line drift rate has stayed solid so that's one thing but then you look at some of the quality of contact metrics well he has a 97th percentile max exit velo that doesn't mean jack jack bleep to me i'm not gonna swear but that's one batted ball if you want better metrics go look at the 80th and 90th percentile exit velocity leaderboard that chris clegg put together is phenomenal it is great. It, it goes from 50 percentile up to max with average. And, you know, it looks like 75th or 80th percentile is the better determination. So go take a look at that. He has, I think, I think he has it pinned on his uh, Twitter by uh, profile. So go check that out if you haven't already. Great stuff. But Rosarena, just the quality of contact isn't there. The hard hit rate has decreased each of the last two years. He's on a 37.6% this year, which is still, you know, right around league average. It's not terrible, but the barrel rate, was 14% in 2020, then 82 last year, 4% this year. Average exit velos dropped down to 88.9. He's got a 352 slug, a 127 ISO, only two home runs. Does have the six steals, though. Slash line, 225, 270, 352. He's still running. 60, he's on pace for what? 25, 26, 27 steals, something like that. He's a 92nd percentile sprint speed, so that's still pretty good. But everything else is just has not been good for him and i don't think he's even he, he could get above 20 steals like i said he's on pace for it but i don't know i don't see that the powers is not there i said he's hitting the quality of contact is average it's kind of middle of the road at best maybe even a, a little bit less than that he's chasing more this year the chase rate's up seven percent whiff rate has gotten better but it's still higher than league average and again, he's hitting balls into the ground. Doesn't have the. Elite. It's not like he's Vlad with the elite quality of contact when he was hitting the ball into the ground the last couple of years before his breakout last year. The quality of contact is, has not been there. It's decreased. Everything's decreased. Barrel rate, hard hit rate, all that. So 
I don't know. I'm struggling to, to where I see him. Like, where do I see him like settling into for a value range here? Right now, he stayed inside my top 100 barely. He was at okay 78. I thought I had him a little bit lower than that, but I think I'm giving him the benefit of the doubt just because he still went 2020 last year with a decent slash line. He's in a decent lineup. Tampa Bay is you know like a borderline top 10 offense. So I was 27 years old. So I think I've given him the benefit of the doubt with all those things. But if I don't see a turnaround here in some of these quality of contact metrics and the approach gets a little better, gets that walk right back up, he probably will drop outside my top 100 fairly soon. So arrow is pointing down. If you have him right now, I'd say hold because everyone, it's very obvious and everyone can see that he's struggling right now. So I don't think you'll get great value on him. So Maybe wait till he turns it around, has a hot few weeks or a hot month, and then look to sell. As for Tyler O'Neill, man, he's been even worse. And he, he was a guy I was backing for you know, basically the entire season up until recently. And I'm still, obviously, he's better than this. 195, 256, 297 slash line, two home runs, three steals in 133 plate appearances entering Thursday's or entering Wednesday's game. I don't, you look at O'Neill. Obviously, he's flawed, right? He's almost like the Javier Baez of the outfield. Where, all right, the power speed's there. He's aggressive, but he's got the he'll, he'll get you the home runs. He'll get you some steals, you know. But he'll be maddening month to month, week to week, and so head to head, he might cause you to lose some weeks, and he might cause you to win some weeks when he's on those highs. Roto end of the season, the stats are there. That's all you care about, right? And this year, he still has a 99th percentile sprint speed. And K rates about the same as it was last year. It's gone up 0.3%, 31.6. So it's still not good, obviously. But he has improved the walk rate 1.2%. Look at some of the other metrics. The whiff rates improved slightly. A lot of his metrics are actually pretty in line in terms of plate discipline, I should say, with last year. Slight improvement in some areas, slight, you know, decrease in other areas, like zone context down 2.2%. But again, there's no drastic change anywhere in his profile. You could say, okay, the, he's swinging less on the first pitch by about 7.5%, but I don't think that's the issue here. He's swinging a little bit less in zone, 5%. But again, I don't think that's entirely the issue, not to cause him to drop down to a 195 slash line here. With the power, that's really like, that's what I'm kind of, I don't know if concerned is the right word, but I'm wondering where's the power like bail rate still 11.3%, but that's down six and a half percent from last year. Hard hit rate is down 17.2% 52.2 to 35. He needs to get that. And you see, if you look at Tyler O'Neill, he's one of the strong pound for pound. He's not, he's not Aaron judge size. He's not Giancarlo Stanton size. He's five eleven two hundred. 200, but pound for pound. He's one of the strongest players in baseball one of the and he's a great athlete as well so i can see him bouncing back but i i wonder i'm i'm at a loss like where where's that power gone so obviously you look at him the guy's a power hitter but the metrics have just not been there again they've been okay but when you pair these quality of contact metrics with his approach and his contact metrics that doesn't equate to the level of home runs we saw from him last year were last year 34 home runs 15 steals in order to get by with this type of approach as a power hitter 
you need to, you know, he need to be hitting for power. You need to have the 50 plus percent hard hit rate, the 17 or so percent barrel rate, so on and so forth. And that hasn't been there. So I am worried. I would still buy low because I think obviously he's better than this. He's not going to hit 195 all year. Well, maybe he will. Who knows? We've seen peaks and valleys, huge peaks and valleys from O'Neill. So maybe last year was just the best we'll see from him, but I'm willing to buy low just to see what the turnaround looks like. And then maybe we readjust from there. But right now he's still top 100, but he's in danger of falling out as well. Brian Reynolds is one that I was really in on as a back end top 100 player this draft season. Obviously he's not nearly as sexy as these other names we've talked about, but he showed that in two or three years, like all right, he's a 290 plus hitter, you know, with around 20 home runs. Another, you know, another Michael Brantley type, or, or what we kind of thought Alex Karloff would be. One of those types where, okay, it's not sexy, but it gets the job done and it's still a valuable, you know, top 100 guy. But so far, okay, yeah, we've gotten full home runs out of him six RBI, 11 runs scored, 140 plate appearances, and he's slashing 203, 300, 341. The walk rate has maintained from last year around 11.5%. K rate has jumped 6% up to 24.3%. Bail rate's almost been cut in half. He was around a little over 10% each of the last two years. He's down to 5.6%. I never thought I'd see him drop to a 203 average. And it's not like the happy fun ball going away that killed him, like it did with like Marcus Semien, for instance, because he's still on pace for. I don't know, around 20 home runs or so, but 203, like what's the deal with that, Brian Reynolds? Seriously, whiff rate's gone up six, well, six and a half percent. Chase rate's gone up about 5%. So that approach and the contact rates that we've known from Brian Reynolds throughout his minor league career and in two of his three major league seasons, taking out 2020, it's just not there. I think he can rebound. I'm, com- I'm I'm confident in the, the hitter that I've seen for m- several years coming back. And maybe, all right, maybe he's not going to be that 320 guy, but maybe he's a 280, 15-20 guy. He, he, I got to think that that average bounces back. Like he's too good of a pure hitter not to. So he's a buy low. Obviously, again, not a guy that's going to be ever top 50. is isn't that, that type of upside, but I think he can still be a back end top 100 guy or maybe a little bit outside so maybe we get a skill back and maybe he's not going to be that top 50 guy but still worth a buy low opportunity both in redraft and dynasty leagues right now you could probably get him for pretty cheap combination of him struggling he's on pittsburgh those guys are always undervalued in general no matter how good they are and the fact that the ceiling isn't super sexy so that, that combination you can get him for a good price regardless of the format you're in so i would definitely look into uh, buying low on Brian Reynolds. So all three, in terms of buy low, I'd actually would put number one buy low on Reynolds, then O'Neal, and then a Rosarina. But all decent buy lows depending on the price tag. All right, moving over to some pitchers now. I've got, yeah, what's that, eight names or so here on the list. I, I won't go super deep into these guys, but they're worthy of talking about this week. So three pitchers that have been really quietly performing very well. Pablo Lopez of the Miami Marlins, Zach Gallon of the D-backs, and Michael Kopech of the Chicago White Sox. Lopez, he's doing everything that... He, he's been a very good pitcher in his career, 
but the injuries have held him back. Coming into this year, his career high for innings pitched in the season, 111 and a third back in 2019. And yes, he was on pace to exceed that by a good margin in 2020, but you can't play the what-if game because with his injury history, maybe he gets injured then. We never know. Last year was 102.2 innings of a 3.07 ERA and a 1.12 whip. This year, seven starts, 43 innings. So he's a little, little bit over six innings per start. 1.05 ERA, a 0.81 whip, 4.9% walk rate, which is the best of his career, and a 28.4% K rate, also the best of his career. You know, bail rate is good. He's not getting up a lot of hard contact. Best K minus walk rate of his career. You're seeing some good whiff rates on, you know, three of his offerings. He's got a 29.2% whiff rate on the sinker, 33.3 on the curveball, though that's only used 4.2%. And the changeup has been really, really good this year. 45.3% whiff rate, 125 batting average against, and a 156 slugging against. Only two extra base hits allowed on that, and 26 of his 46 strikeouts coming off that pitch. That's kind of similar to last year. Last year, 235 batting average against 361 slug, and about you know 60% or about 55% of his strikeouts last year coming off that changeups. And we know Miami and how good they are with changeups. We see Sandy Alcantara, so on and so forth. So I'm a I'm a believer. I don't think obviously 1.05 ERA is not sustainable for anybody not named Jacob DeGrom. But I think you could see a sub three ERA moving forward, an above average strikeout rate. So right now he's about a top 25 or so dynasty arm. He was one that when I tweeted out my, my new top 20 dynasty arms a few days ago, I got him several times. People saying, Hey, what about Pablo Lopez or Pablo Lopez should be in here. And I agree. He definitely could be in there, but I want to see him do this over a full season. Get past the 111 innings. Give me 150, 160, 170. Then, and if you're still pitching well and you know finishes with like a high two ERA and 26, 27, 28% K rate, all right, he'll be top 20 at that point. Because I believe in what Miami is doing down there with, with pitching and just need to see Pablo Lopez stay healthy. But definitely buying Pablo Lopez and what he's doing right now. Zach Gallon, very similar stat line, actually. Same exact ERA, 1.05. Six starts, 34 and a third innings, 0.67 whip, 3.9% walk rate, and a 27.1% K rate. Gallon's been a guy that I've always liked. And if anybody's read my stuff or listened to this podcast or, or Five Tool back in the day, you know I've been a Gallon guy. I really like these guys that have deep arsenals that can mix pitches well and especially use their entire arsenal to both sides of the plate or to to like both handed batters, lefties and righties. He'll use four pitches, really four seamer changeup curveball cutter to lefties, occasional slider righties. He'll go five deep with all those pitches, four seamer changeup curveball cutter and slider. I love that. You don't see any super elite whiff rates, right? The highest whiff rate he's ever had on a single pitch Change up 43.8% back in 2020, and he also had a 40.7% on the change up in 2019. Those are the two highest. <coughs> Excuse me. Those are, yeah, those are the two highest in his career this year. He's got two, the change ups at 34%, curveball 35.5%, 
And then the slider, 28.6. Cutter, 20. Four-seamer, 14.5. So he's never been a guy that has the super high whiff rates. But again, he mixes pitches well. All five of those pitches. Well, again, the slider, you only use 4% of the time. But all of his pitches are effective offerings. Like the highest batting average against he has on any one pitch is actually the changeup, oddly enough. At, that's only at 250. Highest slug, also on the changeup, only at 300. Woba, again, changeup, 285. So if that changeup is his worst pitch in terms of like metrics and stats this year, when that's usually been his best pitch or one of his best pitches, I'm very much buying in. And again, same similar to the issue with Pablo Lopez, Gowan's been pretty damn good when he's been on the mound. Like, I think it was coming into what year was it? Maybe coming into 2020 or even coming into 2021, one of those years, he was being drafted as a number two starter or, you know, a mid number, even a high end number two starter in like 15 teamers, middle road number two starter and 12 teamers. So, He's been good when he's been on the mound. Like up until last year, he never had an ERA above four or above three. Excuse me. It was 2.72, excuse me, 2.81 in 2019, 2.75 in 2020. And then it went up to 4.30 last year, which was his most innings pitch in the season and most starts at 23 starts and 121 and then third inning. So just need Gallon to stay healthy. Obviously, he's not on a great team. Arizona's not going to win many games. So if you're in a league with, you know, wins, which obviously is still the standard, even though wins suck, let's look at some, like Brett Suter had more wins last year than Corbin Burns. So one of my favorite stats of recent memory, but see, he's not going to get a lot of wins. He's got two wins and six starts. You know, he's pitching like this hasn't lost yet, but this, the ratios are there. They always really have been outside of last year when he's dealing with some stuff injury wise. So as long as Gallon can stay healthy, He's another one that he still shows me that he can get through the season or you know, at least through the first half of the season unscathed. I will move him up probably inside my top 20 overall because he definitely has that talent. Another guy that definitely has the talent, Michael Kopech. Off to a very it's funny that Kopech hasn't gotten more love for his start because of the how electric he is in the high prospect pedigree. And this was the we're talking about the number one pitching prospect in baseball at a point in time, right around when he was traded from Boston to the White Sox in the Chris Sale deal. And through his first seven starts, 154 ERA, 094 whip. But the walk rate and the K rate have not been there. You know, Kopech has struggled, <clears throat> excuse me, struggled with command and control at times in the minor league. We've seen that. It's come and gone for him. There's been stretches where he's been absolutely dominant and locating everything, and then he'll go you know, a month or two with like a 15% walk rate. So needs to get more consistency in that regard. Even like last year, and granted it was mostly out of the bullpen last year, 8.4% walk rate. I will take that all damn day with Michael Kopech. 8.4% walk rate with the elite stuff that he has, where he's definitely more than a 24.1% strikeout rate guy. He's got the four-seamer right now, averaging 94.9. So he's kind of dialed it back a bit. He's throwing that exactly two-thirds of the time. 66.6% usage rate. And 130 batting average against, 169 slug, 213 Woba on that pitch. It's hard to square up that four-seamer from Michael Kopech. He runs it up in the zone very well. It's got great finishing life on it. 
and then he'll mix in the slider and the curveball. He's basically all but ditched the changeup. He's only going to change up five times this year, 0.9% usage rate. So I'm not even going to count that. Slider, 211 batting average against, 263 slug, 233 Woba. Curveball, 050 batting average against, 050 slug. So no extra base hits off of it yet. Only one hit in general off of it. And a 131 Woba. But the highest whiff rate he has is the curveball, 29.7%. Four seamers, 25.6. And the slider's 15.9, which is very odd because he's got a really good slider. And he locates it down and away to righties and down and then to lefties. Curveball, though, he's been hanging a bit. You look at the heat map on his curveball. The red of his heat map is in the heart of the zone. That usually, it's it's not always a bad thing. Like If you sequence well enough, change the batter's eye level with your other pitches, you can sometimes get away with that, but not consistently. If your heat map is over... Well, it's 88 pitches with his curveball. So still a small sample size, but not like microscopic. It's over six star- or seven starts. If your heat map is in the heart of the zone, that's not good with a curveball. Major League hitters, it doesn't matter how much break it has, Major League hitters will hit that. So it's more a location and command thing with Kopech. The stuff is there. He's electric. You watch him, just watch Michael Kopech. Easily apparent that this guy is electric. Hasn't given up a home run yet, which is very encouraging. That's been an issue for him off and on in the past. So command of the secondaries, especially especially the curveball, and getting that walk rate back down will be keys to his success. But the fact that all this has happened and he's still running a 154 ERA and 0.94 whip, that's, that's encouraging. So maybe you could say that he's due for some regression, but at the same time, if he improves in these areas that I just mentioned, He's going to be here to stay as a top 20 starter for a long time. He's got that type of upside. Definitely some risk in the profile for sure. He's had some injuries over the years. Like I said, the community control inconsistencies are a risk as well. But the upside is very apparent. The upside is a fantasy ace. Guy that could get into the you know top 10, top 15 starters in the game for fantasy purposes. I think he can get there. So definitely encouraging, but something to work on there for Michael Kopech. Two guys trending the other way, though, that were both drafted as SP2s this year, or, or maybe SP3s if you're in like a 10 or 12 teamer, but Jose Barrios and Trevor Rogers. Barrios is actually coming off his best start of the season. Oh, was that yesterday? Yeah, yesterday. Well, when you're listening to this, it was on Tuesday. He faced off against Seattle, seven innings, six runs, excuse me, seven innings, six hits, zero runs two walks with still only four strikeouts. He's yet to go have any outing above six Ks, a lot of four, five, six. The K rate is way down this year. 15.3% walk rates up a little bit, 7.1%. And that's not terrible, obviously, but he's giving up a lot of barrels, 12.9%, 47.1% hard hit rate as well. A lot of his expected ERA metrics are actually higher then his surface 4.83 ERA. So obviously, Barrios is better than this. Like we've seen that. But I was questioning how good he could be long term in the AL East. And yeah, he looked fine after he came over from Minnesota to Toronto last season. But this is a hard division to succeed in. 
especially like if your name's not Garrett Cole, this is a very hard division to succeed in. So you got Boston always has a good offense, even though they're struggling right now, but still it's a lineup that has Xander and Devers and JD, etc. Toronto, good offense. Yankees, well, he's on Toronto. Sorry. <laughs> he's on Toronto. Scratch that. Uh, Yankees, good offense. Tampa Bay, top 10 ish offense. And even Baltimore is not a terrible offense. And all of these are hitters parks. Toronto's a hitters park. Boston's a hitters park. Yankee Stadium's a hitters park. And Tampa Bay is at least middle of the pack in terms of hitting a hitters park. Maybe it's a neutral park, you could say, but it's just a hard division to succeed in. And Barrios, though he's been good for his career and definitely a guy that, you know, he settled in as like a mid, you know, 3 5, 3 6 ERA guy, you know, around, you know, 25% K rate, ERA 389, 384, 368, 4, 352, and then 4.83s. But maybe we overvalued him. He was getting drafted as like a back end top 20 guy. And you look at the metrics and they just don't signal that. I think you always just thought there was more upside there. You watch him pitch, he's got good movement on his pitches. The curveball is really good. You know, the, the fastball velocity is pretty solid at 94 miles an hour, but he's just never been the guy that can miss bats at a high clip. And he's actually never once had a single offering in any season. And he's been in the league since 2016 to have a whiff rate about 40%. The highest was 37.9% on the curveball back in 2018. So I think this is a combination of he was overvalued when he was at his peak and he's in a harder division in many ways. So he's going to bounce back from this. Like He's not this bad. Like The K rate is at 15.3%. It's not going to stay down there. He's too good for that. But at the same time, is he just a you know low four ERA and around league average strikeout rate guy now? That's usable. Absolutely usable for fantasy, but... Not a guy that I see getting back into like the top 30, top 40 arms. Like for my redraft rankings for pitchers, I put him outside my top 50s and I think 53, 54 range right now. Dynasty, he's outside my top 100 now for sure. Uh, where is he exactly? 132 and the following fast. He's right in the middle of Blake Snell and Luis Garcia. And I don't see that correcting anytime soon. He dropped from 89 before the season. Maybe he's just a guy that's around 150. Like, who would you rather have moving forward? This is this is about the time of the show where I'd be like, hey, Chris, you got a Jose Barrios or Joe Ryan moving forward or Barrios or Chris Bassett, some of the guys that are just in this general range of my rankings. And I think I can see him more as a 150 to 175 ranking guy moving forward. Again, a guy that's solid, but is there a big difference between like a him and a Sonny Gray or him and, I don't know, Jordan Montgomery? who's been quietly very good this year. There's really not. So I don't know. Buy low on Barrios. Yes, but I don't, I wouldn't do so hoping that he bounces back to pre 2022 Barrios. I don't, I don't think that one's coming back, at least not this year. The other guy struggling Trevor Rogers, who probably would have been drafted as an ace for fantasy purposes. If he didn't miss about, was it a month and a half or so of that personal matter late last season, Overall, last season, he was really good. He had a 264 ERA in 133 innings, 1.15 whip, 157 Ks in those 133 innings, which was a 28.5% K rate. Walk rate, 8.4%. You, know, you live with that. 
but this year his ERA is up to 4.45. K rate is down to 20.6 percent. Walk rate's ticked up a little bit, but he's still limiting barrels and hard contact well. He's above average, well above average actually in both of those metrics for pitchers. That's great. That's very encouraging, and the fact that he's doing that gives me some hope here. But he just hasn't been the same guy with missing bats and. For him, it's really all about that changeup. Like the fastball, it's a decent fastball. I'd say it's an above average fastball. And that one has been, you know, about the same whiff rate this year, but it's getting hit to a 309 batting average against 471 slug, 383 Wilba. So that's not been great. Three home runs off of it. Last year it was 222, 344 slug, 300 Wilba. But the changeup just has not been there. It's still actually almost the same exact batting average against 199 last year, 200 this year. But the whiff rate has dropped from 33.7% to 20.3. And the slider as well, 40.8% this year, down to 36.7% this year. Uh, 40.8 last year, excuse me, 36.7% this year. But that changeup has really been the key there. That's a 13.4% drop in whiff rate. And while it's still effective in terms of batting average against, like I mentioned, it's the whiff rates have not been there. And you, you got to look at this year, the command of it has not been the greatest. Like, is the amount of red is very spread out with this changeup and he's not commanding it nearly as well as he did last year. You look at last year's heat map on the changeup and it's much better. Go on Savant and right now, right near the top is the Statcast pitch arsenal and it shows the heat maps and all of them. You look at 2022 and how spread out it is. And yeah, it'll probably tighten up a little bit as time goes on, but that's pretty spread out in terms of there's some red, down and in, and some red outside the strike zone on the outer on the other side of the plate. And so it kind of all spread out diagonally, kind of across that bottom part of the zone and up to the outside. Look at last year's heat map on the changeup. It was like, that is how you want, if you Google, you know, great changeup command heat map. And it'll probably have a picture of this. It's, you know, for against, it's down, down and away to righties down and in the lefties is beautiful i couldn't paint it's like bob ross you know this i'm gonna put a happy little bush right there that is a masterpiece in terms of change up command and this has not been there even the slider command is has not been as great this year so really it's a, a command issue especially with the change up so i think rogers has got turning around like he's shown like especially with change ups miami there's something there so i I'm sure they see what's going on, obviously. So I'm confident he'll turn it around, but maybe he's not a high-end two. Maybe he's more of like a back-end two, high-end three, you know, SP30-ish, give or take, maybe 35, somewhere in that range. So I would much rather buy that into Barrios than I would to Trevor Rogers. All right, <clears throat> moving on here. I'm, I'm getting a little long-winded here. Jordan Montgomery, Tristan McKenzie, really quietly performing very well. This season, Montgomery so far, 3.06 ERA, 1.08 whip and a, but only a 20% K rate, which is the reason why he's not really getting the love he deserves. But at the same time, he's one of the league leaders in swinging strike rate. He's actually got a pretty good whiff rate. He's a whiff rate above 35% on two offerings overall, 29.7% whiff rate and a 35.8% chase rate chase rate whiff rate, swing the strike rates all there. So I think 
he's only going to get better from here. I think that K rate's going to go up. I can see that the ratios maintaining in the low three ERA, low one whip, the kind of area. So I think Montgomery's going to get even better. So I think now's a good time to buy on him. So I think the best is yet to come this year. Maybe he's not a top 30 guy, but maybe he's a top 40, top 45 type arm rest of the season. And then Tristan McKenzie is another guy here that a guy I've been kind of down on for a, a while now, but this year he's p- pitching very well, 297 ERA, 0.96 whip across 36 and a third innings, 7.8% walk rate, 24.1% K rate. But at the same time, command for him, while the control has gotten better this year, has dropped the walk rate about 4% from last year. He's still getting, you know, allowing around a 10% barrel rate, 48.4% hard hit rate. And the whiff rates are 37.3 in the slider. That's great. But whiff rates have actually gone down this year. I think he's trying to get better, you know, at locating and sacrificing a little bit of that K rate. And it's not really helping in terms of that department. I don't know. I, I just don't see this maintaining. His uh, ERA metrics are all a bit higher in the mid to upper three range. So I would, I'm would. i buying Jomo and even improving moving forward. McKenzie is more of a sell for me right now. All right, let's round up the show here with a little prospect talk. Over the last couple of days, both Bobby Witt Jr. and Julio Rodriguez have graduated from prospect status, which is very sad as a prospect ranker, but the show must go on. So my new top 10, obviously, you just look at my last update, but I have do some couple slight tweaks since then, but my top 10 as of now, this is currently Thursday night, no, excuse me, Wednesday night, May 18th, 2022. Corbin Carroll, who's 11 home runs, 10 steals this year in double-A, just absolutely phenomenal. Robert Hassel the third. Riley Green, C.J. Abrams, Noelvi Marte, Anthony Volpe, Adley Rushman, Spencer Torkelson, Grayson Rodriguez, and Shane Boz round up the top 10. Quickly here, I'm, I don't need to you know explain any of these guys to you, but some reasoning. Corbin Carroll, both Chris and I have said it, and many others have said it as well. If the power came along, oh my word, and it has this year. This is the guy that I usually suck with comps. Trey Turner just immediately pops in my mind. And that is a incredibly lofty comp. It's not exactly the Jason Dominguez comps of Mike Trout and Mickey Mantle and Bo Jackson, but Corbin Carroll has first round fantasy upside. Nobody else on this top 10 does. Eh, maybe Abrams, maybe Volpe. I don't think Green has round one fantasy upside. Marte, I don't know. Hassel, more like second, third round type of guy. So all these guys obviously have high upsides, but. Carroll has, I think, the highest fantasy. This is a potential 30-30 guy with a high average, high OBP. He's a hit leadoff, second in the order, power, speed, contact, approach. It's all there. And he's doing this as a 21-year-old in double-A. Not like he's done in single or anything like that. So then Robert Hassel the third. He's still in a bunch of bags this year. The power isn't quite coming along as much as Carroll's has, but it's still, he has six home runs so far this year. 15 to 20, maybe you know, 20 homer guy, 25 steals. Good average, good OBP. I know the guys that hit, you know, top third of the order. All of that's there. So maybe he's not quite as high upside as Carroll, but this is going to be a very good offensive player for a long time. Riley Green did have some issues with the strikeout rate, which is concerning, but 25, 30 homer guy, maybe a little more than that. Still 15 steals or so. Still a good average, good OBP. 
And I think he's going to be adding to that nice little nucleus they're building there in Detroit. Abrams, as we mentioned, you know, recently he was rushed. Absolutely was rushed. He's already cranking the ball at, at back in AAA. And if that power materializes, his upside is damn close to Corbin Carroll's. Anthony Volpe off to a slow start this year. Not worried about it at all yet. I believe in what we saw last year from him. He's young, getting adjusted to a a pitcher friendly double A Eastern League. So, and he's still showing some. He's still got a, a good walk rate. The BABIP's low, so definitely if you can buy low on Volpe, maybe people are thinking, oh, maybe he's not, you know, twenty twenty one legit. Definitely buy low because I think he's got to turn it around in a big way here as, as the season progresses. Adley Rushman. Almost back. He should be back up. Maybe him and G-Rod are coming up soon. Maybe early June, mid-June, something like that. It's kind of a lot of rumblings that they want to bring them up together. He's going to be 280-plus, 25-plus, lots of runs, lots of RBI. So he definitely warrants being here, even as a catcher or torque. People are like, oh, why are you so low on torque? I'm really not. I just have questions on how much average he hits for, and I tweeted about that, where he hasn't really hit for average since he got past single way. So... Maybe I don't think there's Pete Alonzo level upside here, but maybe he's more 250, 260 with 30 home runs, which is still pretty good. But to get up to, you know, Pete Alonzo, you got to hit 270 or you got to hit 40 plus home runs. And that are, I have questions if you can do both of those. So still very good, obviously, but, you know, slightly altering my long term projections for Torque. G Rod and Baz, two best pitching prospects in the game right now, even though. Espino is coming right up on their heels. He's up to 15th in my rankings. Uh, so G-Rod and Baz round out that list there. And they both warned it. They both got top 10 upside, fantasy ace upside. They definitely deserve being there. Jordan Walker, I moved up to 11 recently. The power hasn't quite been there this year, but you know it. The power is coming with him. He's got the raw power. And the improvements he's shown as a pure hitter have been phenomenal since the 2020 draft. And he's... He's still running a good bit too, so definitely he's knocking on the door to the top 10. Some of the guys, I think Jordan Lawler could be a top 10 guy pretty soon. Uh, he's showing power, speed, you know, keeping the K rate in check, unlike Khalil Watson, who's another guy that could if he gets the K rate in check. He's definitely a guy that could. Uh, a couple guys a little further down that, you know, I'll give you three names that are outside my top 25 right now, but could be top even to maybe top 10 by the end of the year. Gunnar Henderson, more walks than strikeouts as a 20-year-old in double-A, up to six home runs. I forget how many steals. I think it's 12, 13 steals right now. So approach, contact, power speed, it's all there. Got a good you know, home ballpark waiting for him at Camden Yards. So he's got top 10 upside and performing very well so far this year. He's up to 33 in my rankings right now and increasing by the day. Pete Crow Armstrong, I think, is going to be sneaky good. He's, I'm not going to say the next Corbin Carroll, but maybe the next Corbin Carroll and 90% of them. I mean, a guy that could be very good across the board, potential for 20 home runs, 25 steals. Maybe he's the next uh, Robert Hassel. I think he could be similar to Robert Hassel long-term. Maybe not quite as, as good as Hassel, but... I don't think the long-term profile is that far off. So he's a guy that's shooting up quickly. And then Ellie David Cruz, I tweeted about him the other day. Power speed is still there from last year. And the approach is steadily improving. The walk rate's up a bit. K-rate's coming down a bit, especially here in May. And the biggest improvement has been that swing strike rate, which is down about 5% uh, from last year. So very talented player that is improving. Still very young. What is Ellie David Cruz? 
20 and a half years old in high A. So he's definitely on the rise. And if that those improvements stick with the approach and continue and even get better, watch out. He's going to be top 25 very soon. All right. That is going to wrap us up or wrap me up. I should say, thank you for sticking with me here in my first ever solo podcast. Chris will be back for our Monday episode for sure. It's had some stuff going on. That he couldn't make it tonight. Thank you to all listeners for tuning in again this episode. We really hope you, know, you enjoyed it, or I hope you enjoyed it. I keep saying we, I'm used to saying we in the end, ending here. But and just thank you all for all for the support. It's been phenomenal, the support you've all shown us for this podcast, our writing over on our Patreon. We can't thank you enough. You can follow us on Twitter. Chris is at Rota Clegg. I'm at Cross 4 And our show handle is at Fantrax Toolshed. And check out all of our written work over at Fantrax HQ, Fantasy Pros, or over on our Patreon, of course. And join us again next time for more fantasy baseball talks. But until then, everyone take care. Asbury, Methodist Village, and Montgomery County take senior living to the next level, creating extraordinary opportunities for a fulfilling future. Work your brain and body in our new wellness center. Stroll our expansive campus and 17-acre nature preserve. Stay sharp with our resident-run college and find so many new ways to get involved and make a difference for others. Anticipate more from your retirement. Visit asburymethodistvillage.org today. Your future's here. Equal opportunity housing provider.